This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman, and welcome to The Loop. In this pandemic, it can be hard to think of wins. Moments when things seem brighter, even just for a second. Because there has been so much loss. But this week, I do think it's safe to say we got a win when the next generation stepped up to the needle and got their COVID-19 vaccine in droves. So we're going to be reflecting on that with a doc who's kind of become a household name since the pandemic began. Plus, we mark Earth Week with a tour of a local shop designed to make it easier to go green no matter what your lifestyle looks like. And we'll all learn how in the middle of soccer country, one Oilers fan stands alone. But first, standing together in line for some sweet, sweet vaccine. I just booked my appointment first thing this morning when it opened up, and here I am immunized by 3 p.m. It's just that much more protection. Yeah, I took the day off today, and I came here to, for the vaccination. Because I want to worry about my fr- friends and family and my kids, so they will be safe if I get the vaccine, right? So I feel a little bit confident. Yeah, I think there's risks with everything we do, and the risks are extremely low, so I'd rather take what tiny risk that is than the big risk of actually getting COVID and maybe getting stuck in a intensive care. I want to tell like people to take like vaccine because like it's, it's for our safety and for the community. Yeah, because of the rising numbers like all over the world. So that's why like I think like I'm getting a chance here. So why not? This week, Alberta opened up the AstraZeneca vaccine to those born in 1981 or earlier, the Gen Xers. And they're taking their turn seriously. According to AHS, more than 9,000 people were in the online queue before booking went live on Tuesday. Within two and a half hours, more than 27,000 people booked their appointment. That's more than all the boomers combined last week. To talk AstraZeneca, Edmonton's own antibiotic doc, a.k.a. infectious disease specialist, Dr. Lenora Saxinger, joins me on The Loop. Hey, doc. Hi there. What's it been like for you to see Gen X embrace the AstraZeneca vaccine this week? You know, it's been really fascinating. I, I don't know what I expected, um, but I guess the enthusiasm and the kind of amusing takes um, on how it is like <laughs> online queuing for Ticketmaster were, were really quite quite fun, honestly. I was quite impressed. What did you think before all this happened about that hesitancy that everyone felt, especially from the over 55 group, to get in particular the AstraZeneca vaccine? Well, I think the messaging around that vaccine was was kind of cursed from the start in a way. Um, and, and part of that was, I think, you know, there was some messier data to begin with. And then there was, I think, a, a premature alarm raised about the possibility of like routine blood clots being a signal. And then as soon as we dealt with the evidence in older age ranges and the fact that, you know, regular deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolus clots don't seem to be related whatsoever, this actually, you know, probably legitimately related and more severe rare side effect question came up. So I think people were just reeling with all the different kinds of information and they just associated AstraZeneca with with kind of global problems in a way. So I, I was kind of interested by the fact that this group, like this demographic, actually sort of latched on to, I think, the most responsible strain of messaging that was available about this vaccine and decided to go with it. You did mention the blood clots, of course, which dominated conversation for a while. What's your message to the folks who maybe still have that on their mind while they contemplate getting vaccinated or which vaccine to get? 
it's interesting because even myself, um, when I was talking to my spouse who is now eligible, I was like, oh, you absolutely should get it. Um, and I'd just been spending, honestly, quite a number of hours over the previous days looking at the data around AstraZeneca to reach that conclusion. But even I had this little moment of, ew. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just this little worry that gets inserted yeah. once you've heard of a severe side effect, even though your rational brain knows that it's an odds game. Like, everything is an odds game, and you can actually understand the odds and know the odds, and your head can know the odds, but your heart still might be a little bit worried about it. I think it's kind of normal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just that little, I don't know, everyone has that little moment of doubt, right, that we kind of hold on to. It's its not pessimism, it's just kind of awareness, maybe? Yeah, and I mean, the, the, one of the things I think is interesting is, I mean, you know, COVID is a real and imminent and still climbing risk in Alberta right now. Like, it really is. And so when you're looking at your risk-benefit, if you're a person who has to interact with other people on on any kind of basis whatsoever, yeah. um, that is a very real risk. Um, but the idea of then saying, well, that risk is much, much higher than the risk of this rare but serious side effect, um, one of the differences is you're booking yourself for the vaccine, whereas COVID kind of seems to just happen, if that makes sense. So I think that there's a little bit of a difference in how your brain handles it, the intentionality versus the kind of perceived accident of getting infected. I'm not sure if that's true, but it, it has occurred to me. Um, but again, when you just put on your strict rational brain, it is an odd game. And and um, at the moment, this vaccine offers us, you know, really good benefit for a lot of people. As someone who's been living, breathing, eating covid weird metaphor. Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but since the beginning, right? Like this has taken over your world. What went through your head just a couple of weeks ago when so few people were getting their vaccines when they were eligible? You know, I was I was sad because to me it meant that the science that it took to make these vaccines was actually incredible. Like I find it the most amazingly optimistic, cool thing that we have multiple vaccines. Many of them were actually things that had been in development for other diseases and they pivoted to COVID, so they were farther ahead. Um, and they were able to study them so quickly because there's so many cases. And, you know, the, the level of evidence we have for them is as good as the level of evidence that we have for almost anything that we do in medicine, and certainly at least as good as all the other vaccines that we use, if not better at this point. So I, I think this is like a, a massive triumph of science. And then this massive failure of communication. And I found that kind of depressing, honestly. And I thought, well, we have to try to meet people where they are because it's not irrational to have concerns when you're kind of exposed to these snippets of information that are swirling around and seem inconsistent. And your first negative impression can kind of lodge in your head. And it takes a lot more work to dislodge it when it's been, like I said, a negative or frightening kind of impression. And so, you know, there there are, are going to be some learnings from that, I think. But I'm also really encouraged by this recent change because it tells me that, you know, the right kind of messaging and the right kind of almost like, it's almost like peer support that you're seeing yeah. online in this group can make a huge difference. So I think that's a really great lesson, honestly. And when we look at the communication side of it, I mean, you did mention it, the peer support, the memes that we saw, and then also posts from folks, including Dr. Dina Hinshaw and Premier Kenny, about getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. Is, is that going to be enough to change the appetite? I mean, I genuinely think it makes a difference. Um, and and really, it comes down to 
you know, if you have intention to vaccinate, but you're hesitant with this vaccine, the important things to think about what is your risk right now? And like your perception of that risk is very important. And so if you can basically, you know, if you're in a home job and you can get your groceries delivered and you're not an essential worker and you'd rather wait it out until another product is available, I guess, you know, that's completely your right. It's fine. Um, but if you actually do have some ongoing risks and if you would like to feel that you're starting to build some protection um, over the next several weeks rather than waiting, the odds still favor the use of this vaccine. Now, there is a risk. It's a very rare risk. It's somewhere between one in 100,000 and one in a million risk that something bad would happen and that we might actually hear a report of someone having one of these complications. Now, we do know better now how to identify them and manage them. And I think that that will mean that it's safer than it was before this wasn't a recognized association. Like, Looking for trouble works because if you identify it, you can actually, you know, say that this is something to look out for and you can tell people what to look out for and they can get appropriate treatment much more quickly. So there's that. But, you know, it's, um, you know, the counseling around getting a general anesthetic is that the risk of a general anesthetic is about one in 100,000 of death with a general anesthetic, which is a pretty severe outcome. And yet at the same time, when you actually need a surgery, you usually choose to get the anesthetic, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Um, and, and, and it just seems like the, some of the discussion around vaccines have almost made them, I think, separate um, mentally from all the other things that we do, like even prescribing antibiotics that can cause rare, severe side effects. And, and it's actually not. It's the same. You're weighing the risks and benefits, and every individual has the right to make their choice. But, you know, I do think it's important to keep a balance in the way that you look at those things. We've still got a really long way to go before we're through COVID. But do you think weeks like these with this massive uptake of vaccinations, are they enough to make a difference? Oh, for sure. This will make a difference. Like, I have no doubt that this will make a difference. You know, even in our own Alberta data right now, when you look at the new cases and the hospitalizations, the ICU um, admissions, the group that had been gotten their first dose vaccine kind of more than a couple of weeks before this surge started, there's really not that much going on in that group. So the groups where we've had like 75% of the people in that age range have been immunized, they're not the ones who are coming into hospital. And so I think that this kind of cohort effect will be that as we have vaccine uptake across different groups, it will change the shape of, you know, who's getting infected. And, you know, if we manage to immunize the people who are the most networked, that actually ends up being really important in helping the whole community too. So a really strategic use of vaccines can genuinely help everybody. So that's something that I don't know we've, we've talked about as much, but it does make a lot of sense to try to use the available vaccine the best way possible to reduce overall transmission. So, so I think that, you know, it's, it's useful to kind of frame it in that more community-facing way as well, because I know lots of people who are hungry for it. Um, so it's probably a little bit frustrating, but, but, you know, everyone's turn will come. And I think, you know, supporting the overall program remains very important. In the meantime, the memes are pretty good. They're awesome. I'm really enjoying them so much because I'm old. (laughs) This week is known around the world as Earth Week. 
It started as a day, but the whole point, of course, is to make choices and start habits that are greener, more sustainable, and better for the planet in the long run. And this is something that I've noticed throughout the pandemic. Being home more, I think our habits have changed. Maybe we've noticed how much more we're taking the garbage out or how much food we're wasting when we cook and consume three square meals a day at our kitchen table. I've been trying to make some cleaner, greener choices. It's really hard. I really rely on paper towel. So I actually went for a visit to a local shop here in Edmonton called Replenish. It's a refillery, so the places with the big jugs that you bring your own containers to. And I wanted to try and find some easier swaps to make my lifestyle a little more eco-friendly. Hi, my name is Megan Law and I am the co-owner of Replenish. Hi, my name is Karine Saint-Ange and I'm also a co-owner of Replenish. Replenish is a zero-waste store and refillery, meaning that you can come here and buy pretty well any consumable that you would use in your home uh, without any additional plastic waste. We opened about a year and a half ago now. We started off as a weekend pop-up store in the back of a warehouse in Southside Edmonton. And then we moved here in our uh, brick and mortar about almost a year ago now. Now, obviously, I mean, the refills, zero waste, it's a, it's a lifestyle choice that a lot of people are looking at now and, and trying to incorporate, right? Trying to consume less. What does that mean to you guys? I think to us, that means just taking actionable steps. It doesn't mean living with no waste because at the end of the day, zero waste is an ideal. It's not really practical. Yeah, it means taking little steps to switch the products that uh, were not sustainable in your home before. And once you're done using it, then you can take that step to switch it to something sustainable. So for example, if you were using a plastic sponge for um, a couple of years and now it's gross and you need to throw it out, the next thing you can do is buy a sponge that's actually compostable and you're not creating any additional waste by making that switch. Do you get a lot of people coming in and asking questions about ways that they can make better choices for sustainability? Yes, we have a lot of people coming in just looking to have a conversation about how to get started. Uh, we also have a ton of people on our social media reaching out all hours, you know, to say, I'm done my shampoo, how do I make a switch? Or what do you know about composting? Or, you know, how do I dispose of this? What do I do with jeans that I can't donate? Yeah, people have a lot of questions about specific products that maybe they never thought actually made a difference. So for example, they'll walk through the store and notice that we have floss and then suddenly it occurs to them that the floss they have been using is actually plastic and there's an option to have something that's compostable or something like that. Being at home a little bit more, I think we're a little more focused on our personal lives and personal impacts. So we definitely have a lot of conversations about waste reduction. What's the easiest way in? Like if I'm looking around at my apartment and I'm like, I want to be doing a little bit better. What's the uh, top tip for how to approach this kind of lifestyle? The easiest way to get started in the zero waste lifestyle is to replace what you run out of. Rather than deciding you're going to overhaul your bathroom or your pantry, your kitchen, whatever. As you run out of things, take a look at them and say like, oh, I can keep this bottle and refill it. Or, oh, I can go get a deodorant. Actually, maybe that can be compostable at the end of its life. Yeah, I think the most important part is that you should reuse what you have as much as possible. So if you can reuse your container, then you absolutely should. And then look at ways that you can replace yeah, things that have that are at the end of their life in your home, for sure. So wait, can you guys give me a little tour of the place? 
Show me some products. So uh, we do have this uh, deodorant that's made in Calgary called Routine Natural Deodorant. And it's entirely refillable, so you would bring your own container and we would refill it. And it's great because it's made in Alberta. So we have a lot of products to replace um, stuff like plastic wrap or plastic covers. Um, we try to have a local supplier alternative to all these products. So for example, here we have the Sympatico Makers beeswax wraps that are made in Edmonton. Those are kind of nice easy swaps as well too, right? Yeah, yeah. And then things like um, bulk bags or produce bags are a great easy swap so that you can stop using uh, plastic bags at the grocery store. So we've got our shampoo, conditioner, body wash. We have bubble bath, which is new. We've got refillable hand sanitizer, mouthwash, toners, facial cleansers. We've got dish soap, hand soap, we have all-purpose cleaners, bathroom cleaners, glass cleaners. We even have a room spray, which is really cool. Well, it's striking because I think so many people think about sustainability and think you have to kind of pare down what you do or what you like, but I mean, you can get bubble bath. <laughs> exactly, and I think it's up to you how you want to be sustainable, you know? If you're like, you know, I, I really want to reduce waste, I can't give up my bubble bath then that's fine. Reduce everything else and keep the luxury, refill it. That's fine. And we have other people that come in and say, you know, I only buy one cleaner. I only clean with vinegar. And that's also absolutely fine. Like there's all different kinds of ways to access this and you can change your life a lot. You can change your life a little and we'll kind of help you along the way. So with our toothpaste tabs, what they are is actually compressed tooth powder. That's what we used before we had toothpaste. It's by a company called Change Toothpaste, which is based here in Edmonton, which we love one of our most popular products, and right now we have it available in a mint or a cinnamon flavor. So I'm just gonna scoop some out and pop it in your jar here. And that's it. So we usually do these by about a month or two, but some people come in and they say, I just want three because I don't know how it works. And that's also absolutely fine. You can fill as much or as little as you like. What would you say to someone to encourage them to give it a shot if they've never done refilling, if they're a bit sheepish about the whole process, what would you say to encourage them to start thinking more green? I would say, remember that everyone did it for the first time at some point. A lot of people feel intimidated to enter that space and think they really have to be an eco-warrior. And we've had people come in here and say, gosh, you know, I work up in North or Fort McMurray. How do you feel about that? And we don't care. <laughs> We're here to teach you, we're not here to judge you or make you uncomfortable or make you feel like you don't know what you're doing. So feel free to come in, ask questions, email us, reach out on social media, and we're going to do everything we can to make this a lot more accessible. So, so far, I've switched to a solid dish block, basically a bar of soap, but for dishes, one of those Swedish cleaning cloths to combat my paper towel habits, and I always bring a tote bag to the grocery store. And we want to help you be a little greener, too, if that's what you're into. I'm proud to say that we've got some cool, sustainably-oriented The Loop podcast swag. We've got a keep cup, so a reusable coffee mug, and a tote bag, of course, with the fancy Loop logo. So if you want a cleaner coffee run, send us an email, theloop at cbc.ca, and tell us what you're doing to get a little greener for a chance to win. And if you have any tips or tricks, make sure to send them along, too. I think I need them. Gabriel Candido lives in Brazil, which is prime soccer country. But he is, in fact, a massive Edmonton Oilers fan. And it's all through his Twitter, at EDM Oilers BR. 
Patrick Conley, a producer for CBC Edmonton's TV News, found this story. Hey, Pat. Hi, Claire. So I want to start off classifying your own fandom for the Oilers. Where do you lie? Mm-hmm. Big fan. Really big fan. <laughs> um, I was kind of born into this fandom, right? Because the Oilers became an NHL team in 1979, and then I was born in 91. So by that point, they had won all their cups. <laughs> so, um, you know, like a lot of baby pictures with me wearing um, kind of Oilers onesies, that sort of thing, like very obvious um, that's who I was going to cheer for. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't actually even play hockey growing up, but what really cemented it was 2006. Like I was like 14, I think. And it just like, I just like cried when they lost. And then when I moved away, I moved, I moved to Vancouver for university. And, um, that's when I really became an ardent Oilers fan because Vancouver fans would just constantly, constantly just like talk about the Oilers in such a disparaging way. And it was when Vancouver was doing really well. So I just like, oh man, it made me just like hurt inside and have this civic responsibility. So that's when I became a really, really big Oilers fan. And then ever since I've watched like every single game. I love it. It really rooted you into who who you really are. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's like, you know, I'm becoming an adult. Um, The Oilers, unfortunately, fortunately now because they're good, but... Unfortunately, we're like a part of my identity in my early 20s when they were just terrible. So yeah. what did that say about me? Uh, well, I, I don't know. But what does it say about you that you found a, an Oilers fan in Brazil? How did you even come across this? Yeah. So, well, you know, I've wanted to do something on Oilers Twitter for a long time. And so the thing about Oilers fans, you have to understand, <laughs> is that we're a, we're a sensitive bunch player. <laughs> and, and for a long time... I would say a lot of people tweeted about them, but there wasn't a lot of internet literacy. Like, for instance, if you look at the Vancouver fandoms, um, they're also very sensitive. But the thing, the difference with the Canucks that I found for a while is that um, their fans on Twitter were really funny. Like right now, the Canucks are really bad. And the memes that are coming out of Canucks land on Twitter are just amazing. And for a few years, I was like, oh, I just I just wish we had that because everybody was just like, like anytime anyone tweeted about the Oilers being bad, which was just such an obvious statement, there's just all these people from Edmonton retweeting them and, and calling them idiots and stuff. And I was just like, you know, we, it's so sad. But in the in the past couple of years, um, what's happened is that this internet literacy has, has come into the fandom with younger fans and a more diverse group of, of people rather than just like, you know, the armchair GMs um, <laughs> yeah, that, right. that we've seen. So I, I kind of wanted to represent that. And, and one of the things that I found was that there was this guy tweeting in Portuguese and um, he's being amplified by this uh, group of bloggers that are part of Oilers Nation. They are really funny. They're part of the funny contingent, I'd say, of Oilers fans. And uh, they would be retweeting him. And of course, I didn't know what he was saying. I could translate the tweet. And it just seemed like amazing. He had like 1,100 followers. And so I reached out to him and he he agreed to be interviewed. He was actually really excited about it. It was awesome. Of course. He's a, he's a fan. I'm sure he'd love to talk about it. And I, I do want to play just a little clip of Gabriel while he starts to kind of explain how he became an Oilers fan. I watched one episode of a TV series that's called Everybody Hates Chris. That's story of the comedian Chris Rock that's very popular here in Brazil. I don't know, in Canada. And there is one episode that the, the father of his brother buys a Gretzky shirt from, to him. 
but it didn't say Gretzky, it said Gritsky. And it wasn't number 99, it was number 98. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Huh? What do you think? Drew thought about saying this. Gritsky? It's not Gritsky, it's Gretzky. I mean, I've personally never seen an episode of Everybody Hates Chris, but I love it. Where where did it go from this random sitcom episode to this? So what happened was he was like, oh, okay, he had Oilers, you know, in his mind as pretty probably the only um, NHL team that he knew about. And, and I mean, you know, it, it's the Gretzky effect, right? It's why um, all these teams in the South do so well and, and uh, L.A. and everything like that. They, they have a huge fan base. And, and the reason is because Gretzky. And so this is kind of an extension of that in a strange way. But then what happened was like a year later, uh, his friend's dad went to buy him a PlayStation game. He wanted to get the NFL game, and he just messed up and got him the NHL game, which oh, I'm no. surprised was even for sale in Brazil. Like, I, like you know, it must yeah. have been like, like where he's getting it. And so they're like, well, okay, we're gonna play this. Like, and uh, he just was enthralled with the game. Like, it's so it, in in a way, it's very similar to soccer in the rules, uh, but you know, a lot faster and uh, a, lot, a lot more physical. And he was just drawn to that. I love the idea of an Oilers fan in like serious FIFA country. Um, yes. <laughs> what did you think about this origin story? I mean, did it strike you in any way as someone who's been following the team your whole life? Yeah, totally. Because I, <laughs> I think like I just found it cool that he was even tweeting in Portuguese. And then to find out like I, I knew that there would be an interesting origin story there. I, I was kind of like worried that he's like, oh yeah, I grew up in um, in Edmonton and I'm I'm like, right. I, I moved down here when I was 25. Like that'd be still kind of interesting. Um, but this is so cool. Like he's never been to Edmonton. He said he's never seen snow. And these Oilers Nation guys, like one of the things they do is they find these people from uh, places that don't normally uh, cheer for the Oilers or watch hockey, and uh, they bring them up and kind of you know, show them the city and, and uh, take them to a game and, and really just kind of like um, pamper them and, and show, show how great Edmonton is, uh, especially with, with the Oilers. And so that's one thing they want to do when the pandemic's over. How does he even watch hockey games in Brazil? I feel like it's, it's not the same kind of accessibility down there. No. Yeah. So like, uh, obviously, uh, it's not on cable. Uh, he says sometimes like with the, with the playoffs, but that hasn't really uh, been a thing for the Oilers for, for a little bit. Yeah, that's um, not the thing. Yeah, sadly. Uh, maybe this year, but uh, <laughs> he basically streams all the games. And he's only, I think he's uh, three hours ahead of us. So it's not terrible. But for instance, the, some games are on at, you know, eight. So he'll, he'll be watching that at 11 and, and live tweeting that um, for the next two and a half hours. I love it. I mean, has he told you what he thinks about the season so far? Oh, yeah. He is like fully on board. He's like, you know, McDi- like I, it was actually when I, when I first interviewed him, it was kind of hard to get him off the phone because he was just talking about McDavid and Drysaddle. And he's like, it's a historic season. And I'm just like, yeah, it, it's just it's one of those things where um, when you have such a passion for something like with the Oilers in Edmonton, most of my friends cheer for the Oilers. Um, it's great. I mean, I, you know, I don't even have to wear an Oilers cap around for people to know that I'm going to be watching the games. But down there, like, you can just see uh, how excited he was to just talk to another fan, like, in real life. He was just so excited. And, and this Twitter account is just an extension of that. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is... 
Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Christina Silva, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. Because there's so much more to know, you can get into the loop with us every Friday, right here, wherever you found us. If you want to, let us know what you think about the podcast. You can always leave us a rating or review. We also have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. And don't forget to email us if you want in on that tote bag and reusable mug. You can use the hashtag theloopcbc on social media. And tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your sustainably oriented neighbor. Subscribe and download the show on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.